Each year as we worship, we follow Christ through the various segments of his life. The church year begins with Advent, the four Sundays preceding Christmas, to help us prepare for Jesus' birth and receiving him into our lives once again. And the church year ends today on Christ the King Sunday. The scripture reading offers us a vision of what it means for us to be royal subjects of Christ the King. Well, we don't live in a monarchy, of course, in the U.S., so we have little experience with royalty, and what we do have is often driven by tabloids and scandal. People elsewhere better understand what it means to live under a king, and to our attention is called the King of Thailand. Peter Wallace taught me about King Bumipol Adunyade. Wallace says that Huge majorities in Thailand adore their king who has ruled their country for over 60 years along with a generally democratic parliament. When a European living in Thailand was caught drunkenly defacing a poster honoring the king, he received a mere 10-year prison sentence. But true to his benevolent nature, the king pardoned him and he was deported. This example provides a hint of the sort of servant leader that John speaks of when he directs our attention to Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. A 13-year-old girl asked her pastor father, why can't a man have more than one wife? And her father, Reverend Parker Daly, told her to open her Bible to Matthew 6, 24. I won't make you do that, but she then read, No one can serve two masters. <laughs> Pretty clever. So our question today is, whom do you serve? Reverend Daly had a good response for his daughter. Here's the whole verse, though. It's from Jesus' teaching of, to the disciples of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, in this case, God and wealth. Jesus had been talking about storing up treasures and reminding us that earthly treasures break down and fall apart like a well-used toy. I'm thinking beyond wealth, though, even during budget season. We all find gods to serve. We choose whom we will serve. In the biblical book of Exodus, we see the Hebrew slaves breaking under the pressure of their Egyptian masters. It wasn't just abuse of the backs and the body, though. They dealt with abuse to their spirits as well. So the exodus from Egypt was not just freedom gained from their human masters, but also freedom gained from their masters' gods. We read in Exodus of Moses using the power of Adonai, as the Hebrews called God, to bring plagues upon the Egyptians. And Daniel Juster is writing about this in his book Jewish Roots. He says, the plagues undercut faith in the Egyptian gods and show the powerlessness of the Egyptian gods to protect Egypt from the God of Israel, 
The Nile, for example, to the Egyptians is a god, and it turns rancid. Hupi was the frog god, and the people then became overrun by frogs. The sun was a chief god for them. It is blotted out by darkness. And then most alarming for the Egyptians is the death of the firstborn, especially Pharaoh's own firstborn, who would have been considered an incarnation of the sun god. Egypt was the most powerful nation of the age. And so the exodus of this enslaved people was truly a defeat of paganism, of all false gods, of all superstition and magic, a defeat authored by the one creator, God. John of Patmos, Patmos, the author of Revelation, is writing to the seven churches that are in Asia to give them fresh eyes to see, like the Hebrews, how to not accommodate themselves to that culture's gods. On Christ the King Sunday, we too are attempting another exodus to get out from underneath the oppression of pagan gods and establish ourselves freely under the one true God who we know best and most completely through Jesus of Nazareth. Who is your God? Is your God the same as John's God about whom he writes grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come? And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth? Is your God the eternal God who is now and who was when God created the universe and who is to come, carefully holding the future in loving hands? Is your God the one who sent Jesus to be a faithful witness for us? Is your God the ruler of the kings of the earth? Who is your God? It sounds like a simple question, one to which we can just answer saying, it's the God we know through Jesus Christ. But I submit to you that naming our God and living as faithful servants of our God are two completely different matters. And I realized when working on this sermon that... um, When I'm not living up to my potential, the name of my God changes. Sometimes I have found the name of my God is fear. Sometimes I don't do the things that God wants me to do because I'm scared. The other day I was in Raleigh Court Library checking out a couple of books on CD when I heard a young man talking with the other librarian at the other end of the counter the piece of the conversation I heard was that he was new in town and he wanted to get a library card, but he didn't yet have a permanent address. And then my attention was drawn back to the librarian who was helping me, and I uh, didn't say anything. I tucked those books under my arm and I walked out. I didn't welcome him to Roanoke. I didn't introduce myself. I didn't tell him about a church where he could find a new family. 
And I knew all that. I knew what I should have done. And so I felt ashamed as I walked out of the library. I felt ashamed and weak because I let fear be my God instead of Adonai. I failed my God. I served another God. Who is your God? Pumipol Adunyade, the Thai king, is noted for being benevolent to his people. Christ also is a benevolent king in different and more powerful ways. He's the king of our spirits, offering us at least three gifts that John names in this short passage. John tells us that Christ loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. So let's take a look at those three things. Jesus loves us. Now, that's present tense. Even though Jesus of Nazareth had been executed probably 60 years before the book of Revelation was written, John feels Jesus' spirit is alive and active. Now, do we teach our kids, Jesus loved me, this I knew? (laughs) No, what is it? Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. Well, that's one way we know. I know that because I know that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so, but I also know because I pray and sense it to be true. I know because that love radiates through the spirits of others who call Christ their king. Perhaps you can picture some of those people in your mind right now. I know because the people who have escaped from the slavery of the treasures of this world are the happiest and most fulfilled people I know. Not Jesus loved us. Jesus loves us. Thank you, Jesus. Second, Jesus freed us. Because Jesus loves us, Jesus freed us. This is past tense, as in it already happened. It done been done. Cliff Fadiman pulled together a book of anecdotes and, anecdotes and tells this one about Thomas Jefferson. Baron Alexander von Humboldt, the German scientist and explorer, was to, surprised to find in Jefferson's office a newspaper containing the most scurrilous abuse of the president. Why is this libelous journal not suppressed, asked the baron. Or why do you not find the editor or imprison him? And to that, Jefferson is reported to have smiled and said, Put that paper in your pocket, baron, and if you hear the reality of our liberty, the freedom of the press, questioned, show them this paper and tell them where you found it. Freedom allows us to stand with strength before people who smirk at Christianity, before people who badmouth 
Christians because we believe we are called to higher and better ideals in the service of our benevolent king. We have been freed from the oppressive gods of this world. We have been set free from fear, free from shame, free from failure. We have been freed to become who God has created us to be, freed to love ourselves, freed to love others, freed to be loved by others just as we are. We are freed through Jesus Christ the King. The third gift John says Jesus gave us was to make us to be a kingdom of priests serving his God and Father. The original title of this sermon was Entering the Priesthood, but I didn't think that that was enough, I guess. Because Baptists don't really think about entering the priesthood, you probably thought I was going to be preaching at St. Andrews or something. Entering the priesthood to us suggests um, commitments to celibacies, Celibacy to poverty to obedience. And for some Christians, a priest is a necessary mediator between the people and God. And we get that idea from the Old Testament where the Levites were the intermediaries between the people and God. They were the ones who were making the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices on the altar. They were the ones who were doing whatever they needed to do that is gross to us today. But to make that reconciliation between the people and God, what Baptists have believed for 400 years now is in the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. That is that we are all that is necessary to be between us and God, that, that no other person is necessary. And God, Jesus, has given us this gift of being priests in the service of his God and Father. If a priest is necessary, then every one of us is a priest and has access to God any moment of any day. If we then have decided that the God of Jesus Christ is our God, how shall we be priests? How shall we serve God? I tell you, when I hear the the word please, I am so much more likely to do what is asked of me than if I don't. And you have witnesses that go to this church. (laughs) They're five and seven. (laughs) <laughs> when I, to me, that signifies somebody is grateful for your willingness to do something for them. And when I sense that, then again, I'm more likely to do it. And I think that so much of that is a part of who we are, that when someone is grateful, then they're more likely to serve or to give or to be served or be given to. So I I think that often, at least for me, and maybe it would be different for you, but I serve out of a sense of gratitude for what God has done for me. If I were to see myself as a self-made person, then gratitude would not be a part of who I was because, well, I did it all myself, right? If I developed my own talents and 
made my own friends, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be very grateful. If there's one, um, one story about a rich fool in a, in a parable of Jesus who says, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's like he thought he had done it all himself, and now he could just lie back and enjoy. And we learn that he died that night. If we live gratefully then we find ways to serve God. And so let's look around and let's see with God's eyes all that God has given to us. Let us look within us and see with God's eyes all that God has given to us. And then we might rethink our position as priests who are loved and freed and in service to our God. And when we can do that, The praise of God will overflow from us. Gratitude overflows into service. And so we too might sing these words of praise to the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you hear that praise that John is expressing in the very beginning of his letter? He wants people to know how powerful God has been to him. And he wants people to know how powerful God can be for them. And isn't that what we're about to? As Christians, we don't want to keep these things to ourselves. We want to share it. We want others to know the God that we serve and how powerful this God is and how loving this God is and how we get such freedom from this God. I think so many people look at the church and they say, oh, those people, they're chained. But we're freed. We are freed to serve this God of Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday said, try praising your wife, even if it does frighten her at first. (laughs) And I think this scripture helps us say, try praising God, even if it does frighten God at first. Offer praise and offer thanksgiving, and then service begins to overflow. A few weeks ago, Calvary's Daytime Women on Mission group and the Ladies' Bible Study group from the Baptist Friendship House had lunch together in Bible study, um, which was a, a, a nice connection. We read together some verses about thanksgiving, or giving thanks, Um, Some things from the Old Testament, some things where it showed Jesus giving thanks. And then the participants were asked to think of one new thing that they're thankful for this year. That they weren't thankful for in previous years. One woman forthrightly explained that her husband had lost his job earlier this year. And that this has been the hardest year of their married life because they've been poor, poorer than they ever were before. And yet, because her husband's job had kept him on the road and kept him traveling, he was home. And so they and their kids were actually able to spend time together. 
So then she became thankful as she thought about it for the loss of his job because it meant that they had more time as a family. It's easy, I think, to name the things that we're thankful for, the, the larger things that we can see or feel, like the closeness of family as we prepare for Thanksgiving and friends as we gather around tables together. We're thankful for food and clothes and shelter, for health. But go beyond these things in your mind and in your life and think about something surprising for which you're grateful this year. And then look in your bulletin and you'll see a one and a two underneath the sermon. So I'm going to give you a moment to write that down under number, beside number one. Something for which you're grateful for this year that's different from previous years. What has Christ the King given to you? For number two, name one way that you can let that let your gratitude for that thing or for other gifts that God has given you overflow into service. What's one way you can let your gratitude overflow into service? One thing that you could do. The opportunity to join our hearts in thanksgiving and intercession lies before us, as does the Lord's Prayer. Pay special attention this morning when you pray that God's kingdom come on earth because your gratitude and your actions, the things that you have written down, will help to bring this prayer to reality. God of love, we are so grateful for this image that you have for us of Jesus as a benevolent and loving king. We want to live into what it means to be faithful subjects to one who loves us and freed us and made us to be priests able to serve you with thanksgiving and with joy and with the many talents with which you've blessed us. Oh, Lord, our God, we are so grateful for the things on the surface of our lives and the things that are deep within for the pains that have brought good things about and for the joys that give us courage to move forward. Lord our God, we are grateful for your Son, who is our Savior. We are thankful for the stories that we have about him and pray for your strength in living into those as well to be healers for you and to be comforters and to be compassionate to those who are on the margins, to invite them into your family. Lord our God, we are grateful for this church family and we ask your blessing to be on us. We pray that you would guide us with your strength and with hope and with a passion to care for others with the same love with which you've cared for us. Lord our God, it is a gift to be a part of a congregation who cares for you. We pray that we might continue to offer our thanks to you in joyful service. We pray in the name of our Lord and our Savior and our King, Jesus the Christ. And we pray in his name.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.